Have you ever faced a project that was just incredibly daunting? A project that seems so big, you, you almost don't, don't even want to start it because it's so daunting. It's, it, there's so much difficulty with it. I think moving is kind of like that. Uh, when we moved from Indiana to Illinois several years ago, uh, the project was daunting, to say the least. I mean, organizing your stuff, what to keep, what not to keep, uh, having a garage sale, multiple trips to Goodwill, uh, packing everything, bribing your friends to come help you move, throwing your back out, hauling furniture. I mean, it's a whole lot of fun, right? <laughs> There's a lot to it. Uh, it's a daunting task. And these types of projects, we don't just do for fun, right? We do them because there's a purpose, there's a, there's a vision, there's a dream of a different kind of life, a different job or career or new ministry, or maybe new proximity to family. But something stirs our hearts that prompts the work, that prompts the move. That's why we do it. And today we are encountering God's people on the move. And we have to ask why. And we're continuing our sermon series, From Ruins to Restoration. And I want to remind you of where we left off last week, especially if you didn't join us. Uh, we left off where everything was in ruins. It was a huge downer. The covenant was in ruins. The temple was destroyed. It was in ruins and set on fire. Uh, Jerusalem and all the houses and the palace and, and the wall were all in ruins and broken. And the people went into exile into Babylon and they had to learn to practice their faith in a new setting at all times and in all places. And they had to learn to lament. And then they learned to thrive in a new normal. And when we, get, when we finally get to the book of Ezra, which we're beginning today, they have been doing this for decades now at this point. But now God is on the move. He's on the move. And he is going to inspire the people with the vision of his promised restoration. God's going to start moving things from ruins to restoration. And the question is, are the people going to move with him? Because it's going to be a daunting task. It is going to be a difficult journey. In fact, it almost seems impossible. But that's just the kind of thing God calls his people to. So remember that Babylon at that time was the world's most terrifying superpower. And perhaps many people thought at that time that there's no way Babylon will ever fall. But God had other plans. Babylon was defeated by the kingdom of Persia in 539 BC. And King Cyrus became the new world leader of the new world's superpower. And God was on the move. And that's what brings us to the opening of the book of Ezra. And it says in verse 1, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the, of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put, put it into writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. This would have been an astonishing announcement. The, the leader of the superpower of the world saying to the people, go back to Jerusalem now, 
The exile is over. You can go back and rebuild the temple that was destroyed. This is amazing. God is on the move. And I want to make a few points this morning about this passage and what it means for us today. Number one, God fulfills his promise to restore his people. God fulfills his promise to restore his people. So the Lord moves King Cyrus to make this astonishing proclamation. And he says he does it in verse 1, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah, he's one of the prophets that prophesied during the time of the exile. And so we have to ask, well, what did Jeremiah prophesy what happened? And we touched on this a little bit last week, but I want to bring it back to your mind today out of Jeremiah 29. And this contains probably one of the most famous verses of Scripture, for I know the plans I have for you. Uh, But I want you to see it now in its context of what God is doing. So it says in Jeremiah 29, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years for Babylon are complete, I will attend to you and will confirm my promise concerning you to restore you to this place. That's the promised land. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being, not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. God is saying, I promise after 70 years time, I'm bringing the people back to the promised land. God will fulfill his covenant, the covenant he began with Abraham and said he's going to bless Abraham and his descendants and give them this land. That promise is still going to be fulfilled even though the people didn't deserve it, even though that God had judged them for their sins, he was not going to give up on them and he was not going to give up on his plan to restore them and to bring them into this land. And so Jeremiah makes this prophecy that the exile, this time of Babylon overruling them is going to be 70 years. And it's actually amazingly accurate. Now, people calculate uh, this time from different starting points. Uh, but one starting point that you can use is when the temple is destroyed, which we know happened in 586 BC. And we know by historical records that it was rebuilt in 516 BC, which is exactly 70 years. Okay, now there are, there are other ways of calculating this, but all in all, they all approximate about 70 years time. See, God predicted it, he promised it, and he brought it to pass. He fulfilled his word. And God does this by raising up King Cyrus to power and moving his heart to make this official proclamation that the Jews were free to return to their land to build the temple for the Lord. Now, if you read this passage as is, it kind of sounds like Cyrus is this believer, this very pious person who actually believes in the God of Israel. Uh, But what you need to know is Cyrus is a shrewd politician. And this really was his consistent policy that he implemented with the the kingdom of Persia. So whenever Persia conquered a nation, they allowed the captives to return to their homeland and to worship their own gods. In fact, I want to show you a picture. There was a cylinder. This is called the Cyrus Cylinder because it comes from King Cyrus. It was discovered in the remnants of Babylon in 1879. And it's an amazing discovery because it shows just what I'm telling you, the kinds of things that Cyrus and Persia did. 
And on this cylinder, you can look this up, uh, basically Cyrus praises uh, the Babylonian god Marduk for giving him power and allowing him to conquer the world. And it describes his defeat of the kingdom of Babylon and how Cyrus let them return back to Babylon to worship their gods. You see, Cyrus, he was a polytheist, uh, someone who believed in all the gods of the world and that these gods were from different lands. And it seems that Cyrus believed that he would gain favor with all of the gods if he allowed the peoples to return to their land to worship the god of that land. So he thought things would go well for him if he allowed this to happen. So he was a polytheist, but he was also a politician. And Cyrus knew that if he treated people kindly, treated his subjects kindly, he would probably get more obedience, more subservient people. So this was a policy, not something that made Cyrus really pious or a believer. But so Cyrus, he obviously had mixed motives and really unbeknownst to him, it's actually God, Yahweh the Lord, who is using him to fulfill his will with his people, Israel. And so when this proclamation becomes this public declaration, the people are probably amazed and they're saying, God's on the move. God's on the move. The things that he said that, that through Jeremiah that would happen, they're happening. It's now becoming a reality in our life. God is fulfilling his word and his promise. Brothers and sisters, we can always trust the Lord to fulfill his promises to his people. Always. Even if the evidence seems to the contrary or stacked against it. You see, when everything was in ruins in their homeland and they're living in the exile of Babylon, do you think that it was easy for the people to believe in the promises of God? I mean, considering that there was a whole book called Lamentations where the people are wrestling with God and their relationship to God, I think it's safe to conclude that they wrestled with their faith. They wrestled with their relationship with God. But ultimately, they and we can know that because God has come through in the past, we can trust and believe and have the faith that God is going to come through for us in the future. And right now, even though in your life it might seem like everything is in ruins, everything you once knew, everything, the, the hobbies that you once had, the, the lifestyle that you once had, it's in ruins. But we can trust, even if we can't see it, we can trust that God is working out His purposes and His promises in our lives. You see, we believe that God is working for our restoration we believe he is working to fulfill his promise to restore this broken world. And he has promised that he will always be with us even to the end of the age. And he has promised that you will never, ever be alone. He has promised that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has promised that he is going to complete the work that he began in you. He has promised that he will somehow work everything out for the good for those who love God, who have been called according to his purpose. And he has promised you, O oh friend, that his grace will be sufficient for you in every trial, in every circumstance. His grace is sufficient. You can take it to the bank. Human words, human promises may fail, but the word of the Lord will endure forever. And so because 
the people know that God is working out his purpose and his promise, that is going to give the people the courage to move forward with the work of restoration. Even though the task ahead seems so daunting, they know the God who fulfills his word. They know the God who fulfills his promise, and that is the God who goes with them to do the task, the daunting task that is at hand. And that leads me to my second point in verse 2. God inspires his people to do the work of restoration. He inspires them to do the work of restoration. Now, in verse 3, in this proclamation that Cyrus gave, he says, Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem and Judah and build the temple of the Lord. So they weren't forced to go back. This was an option that was put before them. But you have to remember, it has been decades. It has been decades. It has been a generation or two uh, since they've been in the land. And so most of the people who are alive now, alive now they've never been to Jerusalem. They've never seen it. They've, they've heard about it, maybe from their parents or their, maybe probably their grandparents at this time. Uh, but the millennials, uh, the kid, the kid they, they, have their, uh, they have kids now and they've, they've settled down and they've, they've grown accustomed to Babylon. You know, their kids are in the, the, the schools that they like and they have the right, the career that they like and the, they enjoy where they live now. Uh, they did what we said last week. They thrived in their new normal. So now they had families, they had jobs, they had homes, they had careers. Uh, they had learned to practice their faith. Um, and they know that the land of Israel is in ruins. Uh, the temple's in ruins, the wall's in ruins, the houses are burned down, the temple's not standing. Uh, this would be such hard work to go back and start all over. And, now, and I imagine some of the Jewish leaders going to the people, hey, have you heard about this proclamation that Cyrus gave? How many of you would like to sign up to be part of our church planting committee to go back to Jerusalem? Who wants to move? Who would like to go? Who would like to go to a place with no job security? And who would like to sign up for some suffering? Who would like that? I mean, this would be like maybe a similar analogy would be like our, our church leadership coming to a congregational meeting uh, and saying that we feel that God is calling us to plant a church in Washington, D.C. How many of you would like to come? How many would like to go? How many would you, of you would like to leave your family, your career, your job, to go to a place that you've never lived before? You see, the only way that us human beings would make a decision like that would be if God, be because God was in it. It would be because God was on the move. It would be because God was prompting people's hearts and tugging at their hearts and calling them to the work. And that's exactly what the Word of God says happens. Look what it says in verse 5. It says, Then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. God moved. God moved their hearts. God called them. God tugged at their hearts for this work. And that word in the Hebrew about God moving their hearts, this is a, a word that means to, to arouse from sleep, to waken someone up, to, to agitate them, to excite them, to disturb or to incite them. This is what God was doing. God was touching people's hearts, awakening them and exciting them to do the work. 
You see, if this restoration project of moving back to Jerusalem was going to work at all, it has to be the Spirit of God moving in the people's hearts. That's the only way it's going to happen. And the amazing thing, thing is, is that uh, these people, they respond to the call to go. They felt God calling and moving in their hearts. And they certainly are heroes of the faith. Like their father Abraham, they decide to leave what they knew. Leave the land of Babylon to go to a land that they didn't know. A land with hardship and suffering. To plant a new community of God's people back in Jerusalem. Now, we have many people we know who went, but there were also many people who did not go to Jerusalem. And they stayed in Babylon. And the author of Ezra and Nehemiah has no words of condemnation for this group. Um, perhaps at this point, some were too elderly. Um, perhaps some just had young children and didn't want to make the move. Some had thriving businesses. Uh, some perhaps just, they didn't feel called to go. They didn't, they didn't have that tug of God on their hearts. Or, or maybe they felt called to minister in Babylon. Uh, we don't know for sure. But those who stayed behind, they also had a very important role to play as well. And I want to show you in verse 4, this is from the proclamation of Cyrus, but it says, okay, so in verse 3 it says, any, uh, any, anyone may go up, but then it says in verse 4, in any locality where survivors, now that is survivors of the exile, the people of Judah, so in any place in Babylon where there are survivors of the exile, where they may now be living, the people there are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. You know, this is like the church planting analogy, right? If a group of us felt called by God to go to Washington, D.C. and plant a church, uh, there would be many people who would choose to stay in Wheaton. And, but they would want to be in on the work, right? So they would, they would fund and they would help, help us prepare and they would pray and they would support and they would, they would help uh, be part of the work that God was calling us to do. And that's what those who stayed in Babylon did. Notice they did not say, well, you know, we don't feel called to go back, so that, that's kind of your call. That's, that's your ministry, not mine. You see, what happened is they witnessed that God was moving. They knew that God was in this and God was calling their brothers and sisters to go. And they said, I'm going to support that. I'm going to support that. I'm not called to go, but I am called to be a part of what God is doing in the earth and what God is doing with my people. And so I'm going to fund that. I'm going to give to that. I'm going to support that. I'm going to make sure that it is successful, that it is resourced, that it is supported, and I'm going to stay committed to the work of restoration. So I'm going to do that maybe here, maybe I'll do that here in Babylon, but I'm also going to send my finances to Jerusalem. I'm going to send my offerings to Jerusalem, and my prayers, very much likely, are going to go to Jerusalem as well. I mean, isn't this kind of how God works still today in our world? You know, there's a lot of restoration that needs to happen in our church in Wheaton, Illinois. And that's God's work too. God has planted us here. God has work for us here. But we also see God calling our brothers and sisters globally across every tribe, every people, every language, and every tongue. We see God calling brothers and sisters to new works, to new nations. And that's why our church for decades has given 15% of our budget towards missions. Because we want to go 
with our dollars, with our prayers, to support God's work globally across the world. Because God's mission of making disciples is of all nations. And so even though we're here locally, we're involved globally. Because we are a church that wants to see every nation hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's all to the glory of God, right? Who inspires the people who go, who inspires the people who stay and work of restoration in their own community and sacrificially give to see God's work where they live and abroad. And God is the one who inspires each one to give and to live and to serve as God calls. So God inspires the work. And finally, number three, everyone has a role to play in the work of restoration. Everyone has a role to play in the work of restoration. Now, if you look in your Bibles in Ezra chapter 2, uh, this is one of those chapters in the Bible uh, that, if we're honest, uh, is not really fun reading. And if you, get to ask to, if you get asked to read Ezra chapter 2 in front of church, you're likely you know, going to be embarrassed because you're probably going to mispronounce several of these names and you're, you're not sure what these names are. Um, it's a big old list. But this list is so awesome. It's so awesome because every person on this list is someone who mattered deeply to God and to God's work. Every person, a son and daughter of God with eternal significance and value. And every person on this list was part of this heroic crew that traveled from Babylon 900 miles back to Jerusalem. And it was through this heroic community that the Messiah Jesus would come into the world. It was through this community that went back that they rebuilt the temple that Jesus was dedicated in and taught in. It was this community of people that would rebuild Jerusalem and the walls. It was this community of people that would extend God's work unto the generations and nations to come. And so even though we don't know who most of these people are, we, we celebrate their courage and their bravery and their sacrifice. And these people who made the journey, they had different roles to play, right? I mean, some were lay people. They weren't part of the temple work at all, uh, but they were crucial to this work. They were important for restoring the land and the homes and the community and also the economy. And many of them were probably big financial supporters of this project. In fact, we read this morning in verse 68 that when they arrived at the house of the Lord or where it was destroyed, the temple of the Lord, it says some of the heads of the families gave free will offerings toward the rebuilding of the house of God on its site. God had so moved their hearts to see this vision come to reality that they made the journey and then they gave on top of that out of their own free will to the work that they wanted to see God accomplish. So there was lay people, but there was also priests and Levites, musicians and gatekeepers and temple servants. And all these were going to play their different roles in the restoration project. Now, we think that these lists are boring, but Friends, these lists, this is a picture in time, a snapshot of one group of people responding to God's call on their lives together to participate as a community in God's work of restoration. And it's a snapshot in time of ordinary people, just like you and I, with feelings and families and emotions and jobs. And they were faithful to what God was calling them to do in their time in their place. 
And actually, I have a few lists uh, that I'd like to show you this morning that remind me of Ezra chapter 2. And uh, I found this book uh, in our church archives. I don't know if you can get a good picture of that. Look at this book. This is a cool book. I mean, it's uh, thick. It's kind of binding. And this is what our church used to use uh, to keep track of different things. And you, you open it up, and it has records of when different people uh, came to the church. And so it's kind of like Ezra chapter 2, right? It's this list of names. I'm not even sure how to pronounce a lot of these names. You know, Blomgren and uh, John Blomgren and Len Carlson and uh, all these different people uh, that joined the church. The Krylokowski, Krylokowski family, some of you may know them. Uh, this has all the charter members of the, of the people in our church who joined in 1966, over 50 years ago. Our founding pastor, Delmar Peterson, in 1968, you start to see other folks come in, the Bertrams and the Andersons. Oh, and look, Lloyd and Dottie Hookstra, or Hoxtra, or Hoxtra. How do you pronounce that name? I'm mispronouncing the names just like you would in Ezra. You see, most of, these, most of us don't, are maybe not, don't even know these names in here. But this is a record of people who were faithful to the call of God, especially the charter members. Many folks from Glen Ellen Covenant Church, other folks from elsewhere, who felt the call of God to plant a church in South Wheaton because they believed God wanted to reach people in this area. And planting a church is hard work. And they said, you know what? I want to be faithful to God's call. I feel God stirring. I'm going to be part of this new work in South Wheaton. And, they, and we are experiencing, we are, the, we are the descendants of these folks in many ways. And we experience, we're experiencing now the fruit of their ministry over 50 years ago. And there's another thing I found in our archives, uh, this is a building dedication liturgy from 1968. And I don't know if you can see that, but these are some of the windows uh, in our church. Uh, and as I love the color of this and the, the branding of this. It's so great. Uh, but there are some powerful words about that the Delmar, Pastor Delmar Peterson, he prayed for the building at this time when they dedicated this building to the Lord. And it says, it says this, Friends in Christ, we have assembled this Lord's Day to set apart this building to be a house of God. We believe that God has put it into our hearts to erect this church. And we know that God has guided our minds and strengthened our hands for the task. His Spirit has moved our hearts to bring grateful tributes of our substance to be used for the glory of God and the salvation of bless and blessing of men. Did you notice they believed, 1968, that God was moving in their hearts to get a, dedicate this building for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors in this community. And now, over 50 years later, we have the current generation of our church who has felt the same call to renew and to re renovate this building for the glory of God, the good of Christian fellowship and discipleship, and the good of our neighbors in our evangelism and outreach unto this next generation and the generation beyond. We have felt God guiding our hearts and our minds in all of this process. And finally, I have one more list that reminds me of Ezra 2 that I'd like to share with you. And this is a list of members of our church from this past annual meeting. It includes most of you watching this video right now. You know, the book of Ezra was 2,500 years ago, and if, if Jesus hasn't returned in 2,500 years from now, uh, I can pretty much guarantee that people living then won't know any of these names. 
But you know what? Right now, in this snapshot of time, these names are so precious to us. This is our family. This is our family of God and Faith Covenant Church. And this is a snapshot of a group of people who feel the call and the pull of God to be in covenant community with one another so that we might grow other disciples of Jesus Christ and so that we might reach our neighbors in this community with the good news and gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this, these names are precious. They are precious to us and they are precious in God's sight. It's a snapshot of a group of people who are committed to God's work in their particular time and particular place. And I believe that every person on this list and those of you who have joined our church and haven't become members yet, you're, but you're, you're a part of this too. I believe every person on this list has a role to play. You have a role to play in what God is calling you to in our church and in our time and in our generation. Every person has a role to play. Brothers and sisters, I believe that God is on the move. God's on the move. He is at work fulfilling his promises and his purposes through us and in us. And he's at work calling us and inspiring us to his work of kingdom restoration in our time. And so my question for you today is what role is God calling you to play? What role does God have for you in this time, in this place, in this season? You know, maybe in this season, it's something totally different than you've done before. Uh, all of our ministries are going to have to innovate and do new things, things that we've never done before, exercise new muscles. We're going to need creative ideas that we've never thought of before. And all of our ministries may be completely different in this year or in the years to come. So maybe it's something new, or perhaps it's a recommitment to a ministry that you've done in the past. Or perhaps it's a free will offering to further God's work in our church or with our facility or to further God's work around the world. To give like our ancestors in the faith gave in the times of Ezra and Nehemiah. I want you to imagine that just from 10, 10 years from now, in 2030, that an article is going to be written to describe the people and the projects of this generation in our church. I'd like you to think about what would you like this article to say about your involvement? What role do you want to have played in what God is doing in this time? See, we are together, we are pursuing God's work of renewal in our church. We're pursuing a facility renovation, a new governance, all of these things. But unless the Lord builds the house, we labor in vain. And so my prayer this morning, dear brothers and sisters, is that the Lord would stir our hearts like he stirred the people's hearts in the days of Ezra. I so pray that he would move our hearts so that we would long to see revival and evangelism and discipleship, new people coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and that we would see growth both spiritually and numerically and baptisms happen in our church because of what God is doing in our midst. And we're seeing good fruit already, and I pray that we would long and be stirred to see even more because God has restoration work for us in our time. And so let's pray. Would you pray with me this morning that God would stir our hearts to do his work of restoration in us and through us?